Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have another one of our final summer editions of The Deciding Point, our weekly breakdown of the countless results produced by players with college tennis ties on the Pro Tour. Of course, we also try to update you tennis fans on all the latest news from the college tennis universe, and certainly we've been dealt plenty over the course of of the past week and a half. U.S. Open, one of the better majors I can remember for players with college ties in singles in recent memory. Of course, we're playing for keeps in the doubles draw, and we'll update you how players with college ties are doing in our men's and women's doubles draw here on today's show. Of course, we also have countless challengers, countless ITF events from uh, results, excuse me, from across the globe from over the past week. So as usual, we'll touch on all of that. We'll get into the latest news items as well. And joining me, as he always does, to help break it all down is a man you all know best as the returning champion of returning champions here on our Crack Racket show. Founder of the No Ad, No Problem blog and podcast, our weekly college beat writer, beat reporter, whose interviews are just far surpassing mine at this point. Of course, we do know, though, not the best go-kart racer. It's our dear friend, John J. Parsons, joining us once again. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to The Deciding Point, where I should mention you are a co-host of the show. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good. It's been a really fun week of college results at the U.S. Open, and that feeling you feel in the air is preseason rankings upon us, and it's it's all happening now. And so we're going to get back into the regular groove here. No more summer editions starting to end, but... Uh, yeah, I'm doing very well. Thank you. It is always both strange, somewhat sad because it means the break is over, but delightful to see those preseason rankings because, yeah, it means the college tennis season is upon us. We'll have the ITA All-Americans first week of October, Fall Nets first week of November. We'll get at least one or two recruiting surprises, I'm sure over the next couple of months. And yeah, then we'll have our preseason rankings, our first coaches poll of the year. I know that's something you and I are always looking forward to. We'll get into our Cracked Rackets preseason top 10, dare I say, in the next couple of months as well. Uh, Busy times for all of us fans of the college tennis world. But you mentioned a sentiment there, and I suppose this is how we can start today's show. Of course, a shout out to all of you who tune in week out. A shout out to Jay, who sincerely has picked up any slack left off by the Cracked Interviews podcast, whether it's Mary Stoyano, whether it's Quinn Van de Castile. You've just been killing it on the No Ad, No Problem podcast, my friend, talking to the college players with notable results this summer. So if you're looking for more college content, I did want to point that out to start today's show. That said, that sentiment you expressed of this U.S. Open, we both expressed, of this U.S. Open being a celebration, being the symbolic feather in the cap in what has felt like an inflection point type of season for the collegiate pathway being taken seriously by fans of the pro ranks. Now, you and I are both in the tennis Twitter bubble. We both also, I like to think, do a little bit of shepherding of the college tennis Twitter bubble. So, you know, we're definitely insulated in our pockets. People who are predisposed to celebrating college tennis, we're going to see that more frequently than others. That said, and I'm just going to use names figuratively here, not pointing to any specifics, whether it's 
the Chris Clarys of the world, whether it's the John Wertheims of the world, whether it's Steve Weissman, Chanda Rubin, Paul Anacone, all these people who are having these discussions on Tennis Channel's Daily Show, are having these discussions you know, in the ESPN booth, on the world feeds. I don't think I've ever heard it come up more at a major than I have these past two weeks. Now, it helps to have the degree of success college players have had at this U.S. Open, but this is an inflection point, right, Jay? We're not living in our own hype bubble here with guys like Hijikata, Goyo, Obviously, what Peyton did, but you want to go beyond that. The Goyo Hijikata equivalent is what Lily Miyazaki did in winning a match at this U.S. Open. It just feels like every week we're dealt something a little new. And, you know, again, the world I'm hoping for is that by next season, we'll be saying someone's college ties without the seemingly obligatory three minutes from these players, you know. All right, we're getting into Alex Corner. It's a monologue to start. Don't you miss these, Jay? That's how you know we're almost at the regular season. Nothing pisses me off more than a disingenuous commentator who clearly doesn't know shit about the college tennis pathway, who's just saying this college detail because it came up in his production meeting and he was told, hey, this is a cute, uh, a cute note, like mention Bornegoyo played at Wake Forest and that team won the singles title that year. And maybe if you really did your research, you'll know he lost to his teammate in the final, but then, you know, no additional analysis after that. That's what infuriates me when you're treating it as this superficial, you know, factoid to name. But it feels like we're not getting that in this tournament. It feels like we're finally getting that next level of explanation of, dare I say, communication from the booth of why this college pathway has proven so successful. Opening monologue complete, Jay. Your thoughts on all of it. Well, I think some of that is fair. I mean, I uh, was looking back at some of Peyton Stern's press conferences, and it was very clear that the people sitting in that room had not bothered to Google her name and read anything about her. But I think by and large, look, I mean, we want to see college tennis covered more. We want to see it talked about more as a viable pathway. And what's been great about this U.S. Open in particular has been all of the new faces that have given fodder for storylines, whether it is Fiona Crawley, whether it is Ben Shelton, Peyton Stearns, Goyo, Hijikata, it's not just John Isner, who that ends up being a throwaway line because people are kind of familiar with that story. So I think it's been great to have new faces, new schools for people to talk about. Um, I feel like I don't get as angry as you do because I'm <laughs> glad that it's at least a, a, you know, a throwaway line. It's helpful to mention. Um But people are intrigued and there's been a lot of conversation and we have some amazing representatives of college tennis. We're so fortunate, both Ben and Peyton, you know, recent 2022 NCAA champions, you know, talk glowingly about their collegiate experience. In fact, I think you're going to be hard pressed to find any of these players who don't. I know uh, Borna Goyo called it the best years of his life. And so TV was courtside. I saw I was like, Tony, I was like, when, when. Borna broke in the second set. Sorry to cut you off. And then I swear, reigns are yours. When Borna broke in the second set to take a 3-1 lead, Tony stood up and fist pumped. And in my head, I thought, oh my God, Tony's going to do it again. Like he's going to somehow convince his player that he's capable of the impossible. And Borna's freaking winning tonight. And I like just for a split second, I was like, well, Tony's courtside. It might happen. 
Maybe if that match was played in Winston-Salem, like the 2018 <laughs> NCAA tournament was, they could have reproduced some of that magic. But yeah, I think it's been great to see. And uh, you've seen a lot of, uh, whether it's Coco Goff or other players who are embracing more of the American crowd, who are cheering them on, what you're starting to see a lot of commentators talk about is, oh, this is... Um, you know, second nature to a Ben Shelton or a Peyton Stearns. They're familiar with this atmosphere. What a great PR campaign for college tennis. If people are looking at these hyped crowds and going, wait a minute, that's what college tennis looks like. I mean, that's all what we we hope to have, particularly for non-Americans who aren't as familiar with the product. So uh, it's been a fantastic two weeks, really, um, of showcasing college tennis in New York. You're absolutely correct. And look, it's something we've talked about before. If you've gone to Knoxville and you're Ben Shelton, you're like, that's a hostile crowd. This Arthur Ashe crowd with Tommy, that's not anything. Or you're watching Peyton against Von Drusova. You know, here's the problem. This is where I get angry is it's the same question in the press conference every time. No, but 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 seriously, how did college tennis impact your development? It's like, well, I answered that last time I had a big win. I answered that last match. I had, a, you know, again, when I got that question, if, if you were being smart, if it's me in that press room, not that I'm insinuating I'm smart, but I'm smart. Um, you know, I'm asking, compare the crowds. Armstrong versus Von Drusova, NCAA final versus Ashley Leahy. What's more beneficial? When you have those 10 guys for the Texas Longhorns screaming down for you, you know, how does that compare you? That's doing the research. That's being specific. That's where it frustrates me is when we get these broad platitudes where we do have so many characters, you know, fantastic coaches of, you know, what Howard did for her game, what... Um, LSU head coach Taylor Fogelman did for her game. Like those are the insights I want to hear more of from the commentary side because again I'm just I'm asking for a little more now. Explain even further. Okay, now we know college is in the ballpark, but let's make the case for people for why college path the college path is a realistic path. Obviously, it's a little self-centered given our the coverage we do of college tennis. I hope to promote it more, but you're absolutely right. Thirty thousand foot view, it's a massive win for college tennis to have not just Isner, not just Anderson, not just Collins and Brady, but again, every week, whether it's Shelton, Stearns, Navarro, Goyo, Hijikata, Honfman, Mackey, Giron, you know, obviously it's a little bit more prominent on the men's single side than it is in the women's single side right now, but oh, it's a delight. And that leads us to our first news item. And by the way, we're going to spend more time news items U.S. Open here today with Jay than we will the ITF Challenger results. I know that's typically where we focused, but we can go a little bit faster through those today. There are just less results for us to discuss. Obviously, New York sucks up all the oxygen in the tennis world. And maybe I apologize to you listeners. I'm sounding negative about the coverage that they've received, um, that all these college players have received the USA Today piece, which I thought was wonderful. I'm glad they're interviewing coaches and releasing those pieces. Part of it is saltiness that I'm not there to experience it all. Of course, I should just say that at the start. Jay's been giving me a look like, Alex, are you going to rein it in today? This is me reining it in, Jay. I promise. But you know, one of the big discussion points that have come out of this as it relates to college tennis's relationship with the pros is the fact that college tennis players still aren't allowed to accept the full complements of rewards they earn for runs at pro events that they're, uh, that they're set in that salary. That's not the word I'm looking for that they're, 
the money they can take in is just limited. They have a ceiling. They have limits to what they are allowed to do. You can cover your expenses, and I think that's up to ten thousand dollars. But you know, the moment you're at ten oh one, you've gone too far. And for Fiona Crawley, who not only gets a wild card into the doubles with Carson Tan Gillig, but for Fiona Crawley that qualified. And, you know, again, 50K plus paycheck to her for making the first round of this U.S. Open. She's not allowed to keep it. She's not allowed to put that money in a trust, put it to the side. And credit to Fiona. (laughs) You know what? I'm not even going to say it. I almost said we don't get enough credit, Jay, for creating the Fiona Crawley bandwagon, but we actually do get enough credit for creating the Fiona Crawley bandwagon, so we don't have to relitigate that. But you guys want to know why we've loved her for so long here at Crack Rackets? Because she speaks her mind. She says what she's thinking. And for her to blatantly phrase it as, I thought it was very succinct, very you know, very crystallized of the sentiment of, look, these football players, these basketball players are getting this amount of money in NIL dollars. And this is money I didn't go and find through a sponsorship. This is money I earned with my play, and I'm not allowed to keep it. How is that acceptable? How is that considered morally right in the college tennis world? And she has an excellent point. And obviously, a lot of people have grappled onto it, have used that to be a uh, send-off into this conversation, a springboard, excuse me, into this broader conversation of tennis, its relations with NIL. Now, you recently had Tanner Stump, who, in my opinion, is one of the smartest thinkers about this topic, who will at least speak the most candidly available right now in tennis media. Talk to me about the podcast. Talk to me about this Crawley NIL situation. Any details? I'm, I definitely butchered some details there. Help uh, elaborate for our listeners. Well, yeah, you mentioned the reason I have Tanner Stump on is because he can speak a little bit more freely as a former coach who's now in sort of the recruiting consulting business. But yeah, really good episode with him talking about where we are today with NIL. And it was prescient uh, prior to the Fiona Crawley uh, statement. And I wouldn't characterize her as someone that has traditionally like come out and really spoken her ma- mind on these issues, but it was a really great quote, and I credit the um the the local newspaper there who uh, who got it from her. And this has always been the case, right? And tennis has been a unique sport in that you do have players who are in college and also playing pro. There are leagues like the NFL that disallow that, right? So those doesn't even that can't happen. And this has always been unique in that sense, but they've never been able to take all of their prize money, like you stated. But now we're in this situation where you do have other sports taking in hundreds of thousands and sometimes millions of dollars for, you know, work outside of their uh, their sport. And the difference is that they're not allowed you know, pay for play is not allowed. And so that's something that Tanner talks about, about what qualifies as pay for play. And you can't get paid for on field or on court performance but the reality is is these players are receiving that money so that they play for that school and why fiona can't take that money now in this world of nil is the open question and that's the question around what you phrased as morally right tanner has uh offered and you can listen to this on the podcast some interesting solutions that some schools are thinking through Some of those examples would be, could a school match any and all of your professional prize money and put it into some sort of trust? So for example, if you have a well-funded NIL collective and you say, hey, these rules are silly, but whatever you go out and earn will match and we will pay you through this collective. So, but 
the burden then is on the collective to fund that additional money rather than being able to take it directly from the source that you earned, in this case, the USTA. That's one thing that I think is starting to get explored with some creative coaches and creative programs. Um, other possibilities could look like, could the USTA put that money into a UNC collective, right? And then have uh, that money doled out that way. So, uh, Lots of interesting options. Of course, tennis not being a revenue-driving sport for the NCAA, not necessarily on the forefront of coming up with solutions here. But I think if you have a well-funded collective, you could strike some agreements with players that they feel like they're not leaving that much on the table. couple of follow-ups to what you said. One, it's not that Crawley's been outspoken. It's that she's always been refreshingly honest. You could always ask Fiona Crawley in a question and expect her to tell you exactly what's on her mind. That's what I wanted yep. to clarify there. You're, you're right, though. Outspoken, which might have been the word I used, was not the correct word. Um, B, this problem isn't a new problem. Like This is a tennis-specific NCAA problem, and you nailed it on the head. It's never going to be the first line item they get to in the NCAA broader rules discussions because they're not going to make a tennis-specific rule. They just don't care enough about the sport right now for that to be the case. I'm just speaking honestly. Obviously, I care enough. I'm just saying you look at the minutes for the NCAA meeting, I'm pretty sure tennis isn't even an individual category. It's lumped into the rest of non-revenue sports. That the USTA hasn't been more proactive is actually a, a, a massive, massive sign of just, again, the lack of seriousness about this college tennis pathway. Because the option to put this money away in a trust has been there forever for the USTA. And you could argue any player in the midst of college that earns prize money at a USTA-sanctioned event, why haven't hasn't the USTA been putting that prize money aside for a, decades now and saying, don't worry. I know this is illegal, but it's sitting here as a grant, and I'm, I'm putting quotation marks up for Jay. You listeners can't see it. Great podcasting there, Alex. Uh, you know, why not leave it? Don't worry. We'll have it aside as a grant to you when you come out of school because the USTA offers grants to players. That's been happening for years. That's the obvious one. Like, you don't even need the NIL, USTA. You can say, no, no, no. Don't worry, Fiona. We're not spending this prize money that you earned. It's here for you as soon as you're eligible to receive it. I mean, that's just not how the world works, unfortunately, but it's a very simple solution. And, you know, again, Tanner offers more of them as well. This feels very solvable. It's always felt solvable. That's why every time – here's the thing. We haven't had results like this to celebrate in quite some time for a collegiate athlete where we're talking serious thousands of dollars. This is one of those instances where, again – serious prize money is on the line. Now, Ethan's already turned pro, so he got his check, right? But it's for those players coming back where it gets a little finicky. Yeah, it just feels very solvable, Jay. That's, again, haven't we been having this debate amongst college tennis Twitter circles since that bubbles existed? Like, this is not a new issue. I just sincerely hope anyone focusing on it now, don't forget about it. Don't let it up because this is how a change actually gets made is if you pressure enough schools, you pressure the USTA enough, they're clearly aware of criticism they receive. Maybe they're the ones who make the first move because I don't think it'll be NCAA driven. Yeah, I don't think it'll be NCAA driven, but I think you offered some really creative solutions there. And yeah, this is not a new problem. It is just highlighted by NIL and to your point, the results that we're seeing, right? Diana Schneider qualifying yes, for exactly. the Australian Open last yes. year. Now we have another player qualifying for a Grand Slam. That is up 
almost $100,000, right, with these first round prize money. So uh, they're having to leave serious money on the table, which wasn't the case necessarily. But uh, yeah, I hope, I mean, the USDA would be American centric, but at least there you could start to see some sort of a change. But yeah, not a new problem, just highlighted differently today. Yeah. And you know, again, we were talking about this before the show started. I was expressing my frustration. I do think there are people who are displaying faux anger at this issue, just trying to hop on the bandwagon to earn some credibility in the college realm and the, oh, I fight for amateur athletics realm. I fight for the athlete as well without having any desire to actually see change be produced. Here's what I'll say. You want to prove to me that you actually care about this argument? Keep discussing it. Keep tweeting it. Keep highlighting these college tennis athletes, the success they're having, because that's the way you do it. You prove to the USTA, you prove to the tennis powers that be, who, by the way, to their credit, launched the accelerator circuit on the ATP side. You're hoping to get the WTA equivalent here shortly, but progress is being made there are still more steps to take. I guess that's what comes out of this for this Crawley NIL discussion. For me, 30,000 foot view is, hey, there are still fights to have and there are easy solutions to some of those fights, uh, such as, again, leave that prize money to the side. Let's make grants. Let's get the schools involved. Let's find a way to get these players paid. Any other thoughts on that preseason news item, Jay, or you want to move to number two? Yeah, we can move to number two. All right, let's move to number two then. Preseason rankings are out. Now, again, these are the individual rankings. We got singles. We got doubles. We got newcomers. I almost cried when I saw these. It was tears of both joy and honestly fear, Jay. Fear of like, oh, my God, we have to broadcast soon? Like, ah, I don't know if I'm mentally prepared to turn the page on last season back into the college realm. At the same time, tears of joy because I was like, oh, my God, I remember you. I remember you. I remember where we left off with you. Like... I mean, again, this is the graphic I got sent to me. I was like, wait a second. It's Gavin and Cooksey who are the ranked Michigan Wolverines? Like, interesting. We're rolling. Again, Piper Charney's the number nine newcomer. I'm looking at a lot of things, Jay. There's a lot of fun things out there. Who's in, who's out is certainly notable. What were your biggest takeaways from the preseason rankings? Yeah, well, just a level set. And I'll probably do something more in depth on No Ad, No Problem podcast this week. But why are the rankings important? First of all, the singles rankings are a straight line replacement of players that are no longer eligible or playing the fall. So there is no new uh, machinations that are happening here with these rankings. They're important because they help determine ultimately your year-end ranking, but also entries into the, the fall ranking. So the first thing that I look at when I see these preseason rankings come out is who is in, who is out with regard to the players that still have eligibility remaining. This essentially tells us who's going to play the fall, who's not playing the fall. And there were a lot of omissions that I was surprised to see. Uh, we still do not have an official announcement on the men's side from Arthur Ferry. I'm 99%, 9% confident he's gone, but he's omitted. And these are players with eligibility. Other players missing from the top 25 of the May, May rankings. Uh, ACC from Florida State, who I thought had two years of eligibility, but he is missing. Andres Martin from Georgia Tech, he finished number nine. Uh, he has a fifth year remaining. Both Toby Samuel and Connor Thompson are missing from these fall rankings. They're also missing from the South Carolina roster. Uh, Cannon Kingsley is missing from these rankings, as is Garrett John mm -hmm. and Stefan Dostinich. So those last few guys are all guys who could be taking advantage of their fifth year, 
we'll have to see. They will not be playing the fall because they're not included in these fall rankings. So um, those were the noticeable absences on the men's side that caught my eye. Yeah, just to quickly comment on those before we get to the women's. It's not a surprise to see a lot of those players taking falls off, right? We've talked about the summer Toby Samuel has had now. The question is, has he had a good enough summer to just say, you know what, I am ready to go play pros. I think he's one of the three highest ranked players with college ten- uh, who still has a year of college tennis eligibility. So that one is less surprising. You know, some of these guys, again, just didn't play college events in the summer or aren't planning to play in the fall. Like, Destanich has been playing. That's not a shock. What does Cannon Kingsley have left to prove at an ITA All-American heading into his fifth year? Reached his first, you know, had massive challenger success this summer, still looking for title number one, a fall of American futures challenger events. That makes a ton of sense for Cannon as he looks to prepare himself for life after his final year. I don't know. I don't know. Like you mentioned glaring omissions. I don't know that I feel that too many of those are glaring. Just I, I, the, given the fact that I expect to see most of them back at school. I guess that's my biggest takeaway. Some of the names missing, like because Mo- was Monday in there. Um, that was a surprising inclusion. That's what I'm saying. That was the school. one. That was the one that fascinated me the most. Is that yeah. Johannes Monday was in there, and so that's where I'm like, you know what? Maybe I just don't know anything. And so like, I, I, it's it's more like trend-wise, you know, again, directionally, do I feel pretty good about this person being here, that person being there when I look at these newcomer rankings just for accuracy more than anything – or not newcomer, sorry, top 125 rankings for accuracy more than anything else. I do think those omissions, though, are notable as we head towards this fall in particular. Well, that's the thing. They're notable for two reasons. One, yeah. because we're moving to the fall NCAAs, right? Yes, and That's so- why it's notable. <laughs> This is behavior that we're starting to see and that if you have to be enrolled to Mm -hmm. qualify for the NCAAs. And then the second is that for some of these players, it's not a guarantee that you'll finish in the top 20 if you don't play the fall, right? Playing the fall is a massive help to securing a top 20 ranking. So assuming we have the ATP accelerator program again, which knock on wood, I hope we do see it's not a guarantee, right? And Stefan Dostinich didn't qualify for the ATP accelerator program. He did play last fall, had horrible results, and he didn't qualify for it. So those are sort of things that you would assume would factor into the calculus here. Doesn't seem to be factoring in at all. That's a very good point about reaching top 20 status for the accelerator tour, Mm -hmm. uh, accelerator spots. I mean, is there a world where these players come back and play the regional and win it as unseeded players? Like, is that in the realm of possibility? My, my understanding is if you've removed yourself from the rankings, it means you're, you're not enrolled. Yeah, right. This semester. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah I mean, yeah. It's, again, which makes Jomo, who I think is probably taking classes remotely because he's a stud academically, like, could absolutely still be doing that. You're right. I like. It's it's not a surprise that that's the list of I guess Garrett Johns is a little surprising to hear him on that list at the same time I don't you know again maybe he wants to go travel a little bit we'll talk about him a little bit later some more double success he has had on the pro tour the real thing is as it pertains to the fall ranking uh, to the accelerator rankings you're right I didn't think about that closely enough as I was looking through these preseason rankings those are all guys who also probably think to themselves, well, I'm going to be playing one or at worst two in my lineup. And as long as I have this sort of season I'm expecting, I'll work my way back into that conversation. That's that, that would, I'd say would be the other part there. 
But yeah, it's notable on the men's side. Yeah. That's who's missing. Let's talk about the absences and then in the women's case as well, who's not missing from those preseason rankings because that was almost just as interesting. Oh, well, I'm curious to see what you think there. I mean, as we have seen the last few years, there are very few absences on the women's side relative to the men's side. Uh, we do have a few absences that are all explained. Leah Ma, three through five, Leah Ma, Dana Schneider, Maddie Sieg uh, are all not coming back. The biggest notable absence is Chloe Beck, who we've discussed on this podcast. I think this is the final sure fire she's not coming back um but other than that we really didn't have any other absences that was unexplained um who were you surprised to see on these rankings i thought brantmeyer was going to play fall tennis for sure in the pros and to see her Mm -hmm. at five in the singles rankings and look obviously she's going to be up there in the doubles rankings i haven't looked that closely as well but i'm sure she's up there with whomever um they want to pair her with I thought she might take the fall off. I thought Crawley might take the fall off as well. Go play event Stoyana, certainly on that list. But again, they're all, they're all the best play. I guess what, what's most not- noted to me is it feels like we got all the best players all planning to play college tennis this fall, that I see them all signed up everywhere. I guess I had forgotten looking down further. Like I, I kept looking for Connie Ma in the top 20, and now I realize I see her at 26. That, like, oh, yeah, she didn't have the greatest ending to last season. Um, that was my biggest takeaway. It's just, like, it's not that anyone's notably absent. It's that, it's that everyone is notably present. That it feels like we are going to have a loaded college tennis fall on the women's side. And, you know, again, there's a wealth of freshman talent coming in. French Open junior finalists going to A&M. You've got Huey. You've got uh, Elena Yu both going to Stanford as well. It's a lot of talent right now on the women's side in the college tennis world. I think a lot of future pros as well. And I think we're just at that point of the cycle where we just went through a really strong men's phase. I think we're now about to, you know, sometimes it, it, it very, very, uh, vacillates who, where the pro prospects are coming from. I think we're about to get a wave of top 100 future pros in the women's college tennis universe. Like I, I just think there's that much talent right now. Yeah, well, a few things. I mean, if you'd listen to the Mary Stoyan interview, you would hear about her fall plans uh, where she talks about which tournament she's planning on playing and how she will balance that. Uh, But the other thing to note, we mentioned Brant Meyer, just because you're included in these rankings doesn't mean you're actually going to play. Sure. Uh, We actually saw both Peyton Stearns and Emma Emma Navarro take the fall off in the fall of 2021, but they were your one and two preseason players. So um, I you know, imagine we'll see a lot of these players balance uh, both pro and college uh, college schedules. Yeah, I, again, I'm looking forward to it because I, I do think we have a lot of talent in the college ranks coming back. And this is your friendly reminder. We got one more year of super teams. This is the final year where all those players who were in school for the first signs of COVID got that extra year of eligibility like, I'm looking at some of these rankings. Like, Valencia Shu is 118 in the women's rankings, Jay. Like, she shouldn't be at this point of her career. You know, again, going into the season, but that speaks to how many players still are coming back. Brianna Schvetz at 111. I mean, again, there's just some highlights you could go through and thoroughly enjoy. But it is just always worth remembering, and this is a good year to monitor it. How do these preseason rankings differ 
from what we see at the end of the year? How significant are they into ultimately determining the outcome we see at the end of the year, given the significance the rankings will play in helping to determine the NCAA individuals field in the fall moving forward? I just think everyone's going to be monitoring the rankings a little bit more closely this season, looking for potential gaps, looking for potential things to fix to make sure we have the most successful system possible heading into uh, the individual's fall. But again, no team rankings yet. We've got to wait a little bit longer for those. Thankfully, we get to because you know there's still a recruiting surprise or two down the pipeline. Anything else to mention, Jay? Are you ready to move to results? Well, if there are recruiting surprises, they can let us know in the DMs because we do need to factor those into our preseason rankings. So that would be my one plug. Yeah, and stop DMing Jay, people. DM me. I'm far more approachable. I'm far less likely to respond, but I'm far more approachable. Um, you know, again, I got to take the beat reporter role back from Jay as we head towards the regular season. So I'm starting to get aggressive, folks. Hit me in the DMs or Jay with any of your recruiting insight. All right. We're going to rapid fire through all the results we saw this week. Jay, we've already spent a lot of time talking U.S. Open, but we'll start there. And then, again, you can just say start, stop, if you have something to interject as we get to these ATP Challenger ITF results. But obviously, we got to start with the U.S. Open. And most notably, four players with college tennis ties through to the fourth round of this U.S. Open in singles. You have Ben Shelton, Peyton Stearns, who have both in that, been in that conversation now for 18 months. Peyton had to do it, dare I say, the hard way, going through the ITFs. You know, she played a 25K in Florida in January of this season. Do you know she lost in that 25K in Florida to Emma Navarro in that 25K in January? They're both top 60 players now, folks. I say that to Jay. He's shaking his head yes, by the way. He did know all of those things. <laughs> but, you know, Peyton didn't drop a set on her way to the fourth round. She was dominant against Clara Tossin in round two. Really strong against Katie Bolter in round three as well. She was up a set on the Wimbledon champ, Marketa Vondrosova, before ultimately, I thought, losing her legs, dropping that match 6-1 in the third. Now, you know, Borna, Rinky, they both got the business in round number four. Rinky, a straight set loss to Tiafo. Borna, straight sets to Djokovic. But Goyo didn't lose a set on his way to the fourth round. And now he's in the top 80 25 years old for the first time in his career. Hijikata starts his season winning the ATP, uh, winning the Australian Open men's doubles titles. He starts reaching quarterfinals, semifinals, finals at the challenger level. Now all of a sudden he's top 85 in the world. He's through to the fourth round of a major in singles for the first time. Obviously Shelton into the quarterfinals. He'll play Tiafo tonight. I mean... Again, talk about bandwagons we created. We've talked a lot of Ben Shelton over the years here at Cracked Rackets. I think I want to start with the non-NCA champions in Goyo and Hijikata because, again, like Rinky's still 22. Like, Borna is 25. Neither guy is more than four years removed from their college careers. I mean, Rinky's, Rinky played at the 2021 NCAAs. And, like, to go from that <laughs> to... to where they're at now, it's just add two more to the top 100 list. And it just speaks to the fact that, you know, again, Rinky played two for the majority of his career. Even played three as a freshman behind both Seguin and Blumberg. I will go to my dying day saying Borna played number one on his team. He was not the best player on his team. Petros was the best player on those Wake Forest teams. Or maybe even Skander at times was the best player as well. 
Yet these two are the top 100 players who come out of it, Jay. You look overall just because I have these numbers for you. In singles in the main draw, men go 10 and 10 plus 5 and 5 is 15 and 15 plus 3 and 2. They are 18 and 17 overall in singles. Uh, uh, men's players with college tennis ties, 18 and 17 overall. You look for the women, 2 and 2, 3 and 3 plus 3 and 3, 6 and 6 overall. Uh, 6 and 7 after the Stearns loss. I know that's a lot of numbers, but it's been awesome. What a run! Yeah, it's been a, it's been an awesome run, and you know Goya Hijikata, not a great day if you're Will Blumberg. Uh, those yeah. <laughs> uh, probably hit a little bit different, but I mean, I, I tweeted this out, and I think that this would be my like call to play people who are mainly following the pro careers, but certainly you have pro players that you follow. You will call when they first come onto the pro scene, and then you know five, 10 years later, you know, oh, remember when they were like a young pro, but with these college players, it goes so much farther back than that, right? I mean, I can recall Borna Goyo, you know, playing that 2018 NCAA championship and, you know, playing indoors in that final against Petros and, you know, Hijikata when he turned his ankle in that season, was he going to be out for the rest of the season? And, you know, it, you, you don't know the Peyton Stern story if you didn't see her get thumped by Irina Contos in the round of 16 and then turn it on after that. It's like these are really special stories for these players and they go so much farther back than just what you see in these debuts at the uh, debuts at the U.S. Open. And so it's just special for me to follow and see. And I hope more people understand those story arcs that can exist when you follow college tennis. And I hope more people who just follow pros understands like how much talent is in the collegiate ranks. If you were at the 2021 NCAAs, you would see Hijikata, you'd see Peyton Stearns, you'd see Ben Shelton. And guess what? Only one of his players was playing number one on their team. It's crazy. And by the way, Peyton wasn't exactly a good number one player as a freshman. She was fine, but it wasn't like she was a, you know, she wasn't sophomore year Peyton Stearns dropping just one match on the season, right? She played right. about 500 level ball at that top spot her freshman year. Yeah, that's hilarious. Tough day for Will Blumberg, who's like, God, if I could just stay healthy, like I would be right up there with all these players and, yeah, look, I remember watching the ball of energy that was freshman Rinky Hijikata. Watching him, Riley Smith, play in that 2020 indoor final was just absolutely electric. And, like, you know, again, they weren't the two best players in the building. It was Kukerman. It was Blumberg at the time. And just, you know, again, it's funny because Rinky and Bornagoyo, when they were younger, they were freaking crazy. Like, they were nuts on court. And... I'm telling you what, that transcendent energy, that that's the sort of thing we look for in these young players who just, who love it, who want the fight, who want to be there in the end. You know, again, the Goyo-Blumberg final that they played in the semifinal, excuse me, NCAA semifinal, that three-set thriller that, you know, both guys haven't been fully healthy since, like... That's one of those all-time moments. That was 2019 for those college tennis fans that remember that. And now, you know, Will's won multiple ATP doubles title. He's made a slam final and mixed. Obviously, what Borna's now done making the fourth round tier uh, in the men's singles main draw, top 100 player in the world. It's awesome. Absolutely awesome to see. And again, other winners on the college side in singles, Rinder Kanesh, uh, Nori, Sarundalo, Eubanks, McDonald, all the men's winners we had in the event on the women's side. Miyazaki reaches round two. 
Uh, Collins reaches round two. Brady, Stearns, the only players to reach round three. Obviously, Peyton Stearns into round number four in singles. We still got our doubles watch, though. And obviously, Jay, that's been something we've been monitoring particularly closely here on the GSB. Will you explain to our listeners why, one more time, in case they've missed previous episodes, we've been monitoring this doubles event so closely? Also, can I get an update? Where do things stand? Well, on the men's double side in particular, if a player with college ties has won a men's double slam, the last four slams dating back to the U.S. Open last year. And so we are on the calendar slam watch, uh, having won the Australian Open, French Open and Wimbledon. So we are looking for a team with college ties to win this year's U.S. Open to complete the men's doubles collegiate calendar slam. And we've got a lot of contenders remaining. Uh, yeah. No, up and uh, down the board. Uh, uh, yeah, I know there were some updates. I'm just trying to pull up the updates here. Oh, yeah. No, it, it was unfortunately was... Lamons Withrow knocked out, Galloway okay. knocked out. So, uh, look, we're rooting for the bottom half, right? Yeah. We're rooting for uh, <laughs> Salisbury Ram or Krejcik. Yep. Yes, exactly. Who all three of those players are in that uh, path four slam titles that I talked about. So means we're going to have 50-50 chance in the yeah. final, uh, I, which is good news. I didn't know where Bear and Mahout were playing together again. They're into the semifinals of this men's doubles. Neither has college ties, but that's just a fun note. And yeah, I mean, again, Jan Zielinski, quarterfinalist, he gets knocked out. Shout out Robert Galloway. That's a massive result for the former Wolford standout. And again, Robert happens to be one of the nicer guys you'll meet on tour Women's side is loaded as well. You've got the West Coast kids, Jennifer Brady of UCLA, Louisa Stefani, former Pepperdine standout there into the semifinals, Aaron Rutliff, the two-time NCAA doubles champion, her and Gabriela Dabrowski, who looked, and I mean this with all affection, Jay, they were so bad in Cleveland a week ago. Like, Eric and I, my older brother Eric, were looking at each other like, yo, those two might need to break up. Like, this is, (laughs) this doubles pairing's not really working right now. But they're through the semifinals, seven, six, and the third. They knock out Fernandez and Townsend today. So again, three of your first four double semifinalists have college tennis ties. Now the other two teams feature no players with college ties. So again, you're rooting for the top and the bottom of the draw, specifically Rutliff, Brady, Stefani. If you want to see a, col- a player with college ties have success on the women's side, but you know, again, two we teams. are guaranteed a winner in mixed doubles. Uh, yeah. Every remaining team in the semifinals has college tennis size, which is great to see. What's our mix? It's Krejcik, Pagula, Townsend, Shelton in on that team. Shibahara, Pavic, and then Dalanita. <laughs> there it is. Uh, you're right. Like These are mixed doubles champion guaranteed. We're getting a player with college ties winning a major at this U.S. Open. So ITA team, prep the graphic now. I expect to see it Friday, Saturday, whenever that mixed doubles final is. Yeah, I, I mean, again. Sticks to the script. More than a fourth of both the men's women's doubles rankings filled with players with college ties. So not exactly shocking to see this sort of success in New York. All right. You want to rapid fire through challengers ITFs to end today's show, Jay? Yes, but let me know how this works. So you're going to mention something and I'll tell you if I want to comment on it. Yeah, just I'm going to mention something. You say pause or continue. And that's how we'll do okay. it here as we roll okay. through. So You know I like clear rules yeah yeah well by the way you can break those rules whenever you'd like i trust your discretion of telling me to pause or that is the antithesis of clear rules <laughs> all right we'll start with the challengers you tell me if you care or not connie france no that's again 
stop or not. Connie Fronson, another, another doubles title. This time he does it in Como, Italy, up to number 94 in the live rankings. Knocks out ca- former Cal standout Philip Bergavi in the finals as well. That's challenger result number one. Stop or keep going? Keep going. Shout out to the kooky monster. Daniel Kukerman gets a doubles title. He gets that one in Mallorca up to number 243 in the doubles rankings now. Uh, good doubles victory for him. Again, titles at the challenger level and doubles, those count. So wanted to give him a shout out particularly. You want another one or are you ready to move on? No, I mean, we haven't seen Cookie Monster, you know, a lot of these results. So good to see some uh, doubles results from him. Former USC Trojan, we should yeah, mention. 386 in the rankings is a former All-American, 28 years old, reached his career high of 339 back in May, reached his career high of 205 in doubles back in February. So still fighting, still clawing. And again, we saw Cooper play college tennis in 2021. So he's only two years out. Top 400 in the world in both of that. Ain't too shabby. In the Mallorca singles front, Oh, I, I saved it because Arthur Ferry won a first-round match, and that was going to get back to, I don't think he's coming back to school either. We can move off from there. Last one, Olafiani reached the round of 16. He won a first-round match uh, as well, as did former Cornell standout Colin Sinclair, who found himself in the quarterfinals in Zhangjian. You look for Sinclair. He's 211 in the doubles rankings, 11 off his career high. You look for him singles right now, 379, eight spots off his career high, which he reached in January. That's all I got for the challengers. You ready to move on? Yeah. All right, let's get to the ITF women's side of things. And again, I looked up everything. Singles, doubles, every draw this week, Jay. So I've got them all. You just tell me if you're interested or not. I only have four on the women's side this week. Pretty light, but it starts with the biggest note. Qualifier Daria Freeman, who announced a couple months ago she is leaving Princeton. She's not going to Duke. Instead, she's elected to turn pro. Another pro title for her. Maybe it was her first. This one in Monastir. You look at this result now with it. Uh, Freeman up to a uh, up to. <laughs> She's up to 1,002 in the live rankings coming into the week. I haven't looked at this week's, but I'm sure she's cracked the top 1,000 now for the first time in her career. I mean, titles count. That's a big deal for Daria Freeman. Yeah, stop. Uh, this is <laughs> yeah, her second, I knew, I knew this it was coming. Her, this is her second title. Uh, and I guess you didn't get the news that they actually moved the Barnes tennis courts to Monastir. Yeah. Uh, and it's why she's been camping out there. But yeah, great results for her. Helps to validate that decision to turn pro. But, you know, it'll take a while to move up the rankings at the 15K level. Um, you know, you can win a handful of these and still kind of still be in the seven to 800s. But um, it's good to see her have the success there. Absolutely. All right. We'll move on to the next one then. Doubles, 25K, Fang Rantien, Ava Markham, finalist. I believe that was in Valladolid. I butchered that pronunciation, I'm sure. Start, stop, keep going. What do you think? Keep going. All right, I like it, but shout out to Ava Markham. You know Ava Markham's one of my very good, we don't talk enough about her players at Wisconsin. Next, I have a semifinal from that same event, Fung Runtian reaching the semifinals there. You look for the rising sophomore, 671, new career high ranking for her entering the week, maybe a little bit higher than that now. Can I move on to my final w, uh, women's result? Sure. Again, it was a pretty thin week on the women's side. I have Sawanka making a quarterfinals at a 25K. That's my last one. Am I missing anything? I think I got everything. 
I had Vivian Wolf, formerly of both Georgia and UCLA, making the quarterfinals of a 40K in the Netherlands. You know, quarterfinals, yes, but 40K, uh, good for her and her results. Um, yeah, I mean, Fungren Tian has continued to play, you know, and she's mixed it up at you know the 25K level. I do hope we see her play a full uh, college fall schedule. Um, I'm not sure that we will. I think she has a wild card into the China Open, uh, so she'll probably be missing some time because of that but um it'll be good to see her back in college and playing a, a full fall schedule couldn't agree with you more well said all right men's side again we'll rapid fire through shout out to former tennessee standout i forget what his first school was but giles hussey wins his second career singles title 25k in budapest he knocks out former ucf standout gabriel de camps in the final beats hamish stewart the former georgia standout in uh, georgia in Tulane standout excuse me in the semis it's a good win for Giles Hussey, top 600 in the world. Again, another guy who played four, five in his lineup and finds himself as one of the 600 best players, the tennis players in the world. It's impressive stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Keep going. Yeah, <laughs> good. Good for DeCamps, by the way, as well. An impressive final for him at the 15K. Finalists, we uh, excuse me, doubles titles now. We've got a couple of them. Inglidson, Johannes Inglidson, former Florida standout. He and Harry Wendelkin combined for the doubles title at a 25K. You had Sander Jong, Jesse Timmermans combining for a 25K title in Oldenzal. I apologize if I butchered that pronunciation. And then a duo we've been father- following for a lot of the summer. Patrick Trehawk, Ryan Segerman. They get another title as well. They beat the aforementioned Garrett Johns, who's not in the rankings right now, but they get the 15K title in Monastir. They continue to work their way up the rankings. You made a face as if to say, all right, Alex, stop. Well, I thought you almost slipped up and said a team we have been fathering, and that is true as <laughs> yeah. well. It feels like we have been uh, watching them for a while now and seeing their success all over the world, uh, which is great to see. Uh, Segerman, uh, formerly of North Carolina, no longer uh, with the Tar Heels, embarking on his pro career. I'm all about the Hawk. I love Patrick Trahawk. He just has real weapons. He's huge. Like, I should have spent more time enjoying Utah last year. That's on me because they had some characters on that team. And watching them play in the NCAAs was actually a joy because that Old Dominion match was like was sneaky close there for the first hour and a half. And then again, the UNC match was very exciting. Still, Trahak, Segerman, obviously they they found magic uh, and they've had a ton of success together here this summer. I believe now you look at the titles they have won so far. Let's see. I, I don't want to get this incorrect. One, two, three, four, five, six titles together. Six. Crazy. That's just really freaking good. And, you know, with that result, Segerman up to, that's crazy. Guess his ranking. Six futures titles in like 10 weeks. 90. 675. Um, yeah, so oh he's, gosh. yeah, I know. I was like, that can't be right. Like he needs to be higher than that. Uh, he's not for now. And again, that speaks to how difficult it is to climb the rankings. All right. The rest of these are all rapid fire. Unless you say otherwise, merge it. Stewart make the final in doubles. They get knocked out. We had a Juan Carlos Aguilar semifinals at a 15 K in doubles as well. Oliver Crawford making the finals of a 25 K in Oldenzell. He gets knocked out by Lucas Gerch in the final 15K final, Adrian Oatsbach, he makes the final there, knocked out 6-1 in the third by Nicola Kuhn. But again, it's a pretty solid result for the former Pepperdine standout. Speaking of which, Daniel DeJong, Tim Rule, also quarterfinalist there. So shout out Adam Schachterly, a little Germany takeover. Um, 
Florin Broska, Grigor Ramskogler making the final of a 15K together. Shout out to the Mississippi State Bulldogs. 25K, Ronan Jachuk, Henry von der Schulenberg, the Harvard teammates. They make a final, by the way, at the same event. Von der Schulenberg, I believe, makes the semifinals in singles. Uh, so, again, that's a notable result for a Harvard team that I think is going to be pretty darn solid in 2024. Timo Stotter update of the week. Stotter, semifinals at a 25K. So, again, Timo continuing to do his thing, work towards career highs. Let's see, who else do I have? on this list as I rapid fire through. I got four more for you, Jay. Adrian Boyton, a semifinals in singles at a 15K. You look for Boyton now, the former Baylor All-American, 24 years old. He's sitting at a career-high 484 in the rankings. Inglitson made a quarterfinal with Duarte Valle at that same event. He won doubles at at a 25K. Emil Hud hadn't seen his name in a while. He made the quarterfinals at a 15K. And last but not least... Oh, our boy, Sid the Man Bonthia, uh, 3-3. and He made a quarterfinal at a 15K. I miss anything, Jay? I don't want to throw you under the bus here, Gruskin, but I think you missed some of the biggest headlines of the week. I don't know. What did I do? Please throw me <laughs> under the bus. I must. I, it's so, very possible I missed a link or two. So the one that – a few that popped out at me, one was Justin Barkey who won the 25K in Hong Kong. He played at Princeton. He graduated in 2022. He played behind Ryan Segerman prior sure. to Segerman transferring to North Carolina. This was his first pro title, which we always want to give a shout-out to. And then another person who earned their first pro title and a recent grad this past season was Bogdan Pavel who won the 15K in Bucharest. He just left the University of Central Florida. And again, this was his uh, first 15 pro, 15K title. So those were two names that stuck out to me winning their first pro titles. Let the record show I clicked a lot of links. It's very possible I skipped over one or two, and I usually tried to go singles, then doubles. There's a chance I saw a doubles but forgot to go back and check the singles. So absolutely need to shout out two first-time champions. That's what this show is all about. That said, Jay... That's all I got for this past week on this summer edition of The Deciding Point. Now, obviously, week two of the U.S. Open this week. We'll see how far Ben Shelton goes. We'll see if men with college ties can make it five straight doubles majors. We'll see which player with college ties wins the mixed doubles title. Those are the headliners. Anything else we should be watching for? Well, the Challenger Swing is back in full force, six this week. None in North America, though. We do have a few of the North American Challengers coming in September. So those will be littered typically with both current and former collegians. Uh, but you who do have the aforementioned Alafi Ayeni in Shanghai uh, this week, as well as Johannes Monday, who is certainly not on the campus of Knoxville, uh, Tennessee right now because he is in Turkey. He just beat Kasper Zouk in the first round, a really good first round win for him. Um, so yeah, we'll have more challenger action for you next week. I love to hear it. Well, with all that said, I made a promise to Jay before the start of this podcast, and that's I would get him out of here before the start of Shelton Tiafo. Guess what, Jay? We're going to make it. Muhova finished seven minutes ago. They have yet to start tonight's All-American quarterfinal battle. You're going to get to catch it. And again, for listeners who haven't been catching everything you've been throwing out on the No Ad No Problem podcast, Quinn Van de Castile, Mary Stoyana, Tanner Stump. Who else have you one up to me with? I'm trying to think who else could you get just to really put a middle finger in my face? I mean, you could have Crawley on again just because <laughs> it's always a little slap. Um, I'm trying to think who's like the the one player that would actually make me upset. 
Oh, get please, Will, t- please tell me. Yeah, get Will's thoughts on all things Rinky and Borna. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would make me laugh. Um, no, there's no one, Jay. I it's I don't root against my teammates ever because when you win, uh, we all win. Uh, so shout out to you, Jay. You seriously killing it on the No Ad No Problem blog. Everyone should go check it out if they haven't already. Uh, speaking of checking out, you know who I always like to check out? Our super producer, Danny Westoff, who has a f- of an earning job to do day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out to him. With that said, any final thoughts, Jay? Are you ready to wrap tonight's show? I'm ready to go. All right, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.